Hey, welcome to the first inaugural episode of what is currently called the 10th and L podcast. Uh, my name is Philip Coleman. I'm the lead pastor and one of the elders here at True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. And this is the second time we've put together some additional information, some insight into the Bible, cultural issues, things that are kind of engaged with our sermon series on Sunday morning. Uh, however, this is the very first time that we've taken that out of the sermon stream and created a new home for these kinds of discussions. And so uh, some of our membership, some of you listening right now, have been excited for us to pursue this. And our plan is to try to produce these weekly at this point. We've got some ideas about what that could look like. We'll get into that in just a minute. But I'm actually not alone this time. Last time that I uh, recorded one of these, it was just me in the basement of the First Baptist Church in the choir robe room. That's and, right. And uh, sitting across from me is the other voice you hear, and that is Tyler Wolf, who is our Director of Communication and leads our congregational uh, singing. So Tyler, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, you know, if you've been at True North for very long, uh, I am positive you've heard my voice. It's been there for quite a while. I always have a microphone, and uh, that's what I get to do. Um, I'm really excited to be here. I love talking theology. Uh, we spend a lot of time in just our offices throughout the week. We just we just talk about what we're reading, what we're thinking, uh, and it's fun to be able to do it on kind of an official forum. So this is exciting for me. Uh, you know, before we get started, I wanted to give you guys a couple of updates. We have a couple of dates coming up that I think you guys are going to want to uh, take some time and uh, um, put put aside some time in your schedule to go to go do to go be a part of. So on June 10th is going to be our next prayer night and worship. That's right, um, and that's going to be a time of just uh, uh, of getting together with other believers. Um, and we're all there together, but really, what it is is we're just taking some time uh, to be with the Lord, to communicate with Him, to have Him communicate with us. Uh, we're going to sing some songs as well because I think when we when we can gather corporately, I think one of the best expressions of worship and adoration uh, is music because it's something we can all do together simultaneously. Uh, and apart from that, we also have a couple of really fun Sunday services planned for you. We're going to have Church in the Park on May 30th and July 18th, and both of those are going to be at 11 a.m., uh, we're going to do a kind of a normal-looking worship service, but we're going to break after that. We're going to have some games, some fun, uh, and I think some hamburgers and hot dogs. So I'm uh, really excited for both of those days, uh, May 30th, July 18th. I may have said June. May 30th and July 18th, Church in the Park. That's right, and uh, the park we'll be meeting at is Cuddy Family Park in Midtown. Uh, if you know where the Lusack Library is, just a couple blocks south of Moose's Tooth in Anchorage, that's where we'll be. I think there's parking both on the east and west side of the campus, so just wherever you want to park is fine. You can park at the library and walk over, but we'll be meeting at the amphitheater uh, next to the pond where all of the ducks and geese that's right. summer with us. Um, and then I want to make a comment as well, Tyler, on prayer night. Uh, we try to always have a theme to these. We try to kind of be creative in the ways that we approach the Lord in prayer, both because that, I think, disciples us well and it's good for us corporately to get outside of our comfort zone a little bit. And so um, this next prayer night in June, the theme, the kind of time we're going to spend in the middle is going to be actually praying for other churches in town. Um, every prayer night we've done so far, we've been focused on some internal issues here, either at the church or as individuals in our own lives. And so uh, myself and a couple members of the staff have worked together to assemble a list of 40 churches in town. Uh, and we're going to spend some time praying for their leadership by name, praying for the churches by name, and asking, among other things, that God would be big in those congregations, that Jesus would be known, that the gospel would be proclaimed. Uh, we believe even churches that we disagree with in some areas, the best prayer we can pray is that they would be gospel-centered, Jesus-centered, and we believe that Jesus will answer those prayers. I have one more announcement as well. I appreciate your insight, Tyler, into some stuff coming up this summer. Um, on July the 17th, so the day before the second church in the park, that'll be a pretty fun weekend for our church, we're going to do a volunteer appreciation day. In the past, we've done some different stuff to say thank you to our kids' volunteers. 
And our volunteer army has really grown large enough this year that we felt that it was a good idea to get out together and enjoy Alaskan summer. And so we're going to be heading down to the Alaska Wildlife Conservation Center, which is just south of Girdwood near Portage. And uh, the church is going to cover the cost for any volunteer, their family, their spouse, kids. Uh, we're going to try to meet at the gate at 10. That's when they open that morning. But if you're unable to get there right then, that's okay. Just let them know that you're with True North, and uh, we'll make sure and cover the charge when we cash out at the end of the day. I think most folks are going to plan to stay around until about noon. There won't be lunch provided, and your transportation will be on you as well. Uh, but there's lots of great places to pull off the highway there close to Portage and grab lunch on the way back or just spend some time tossing rocks or fishing with your kids, whatever. So should be a great day, awesome opportunity for us to say thanks yes. to our volunteers. Uh, and just have some fun. See some bears and moose, you know, from a from a safe distance. <laughs> it's, a, it's a total blast, man. Yeah, My kids, we, we love it going there. Even, and we, we'd go without our kids, whatever. Yeah, I think the best part is the uh, walkway through the bear pen. I mean, really, that's the closest. I think I've been closer than that to a black bear once since I've lived in Anchorage, but it yeah, but wasn't not a fun. brown bear. Wasn't fun. No, no way. Not a chance. So, very cool. Well, I want to give you guys a little bit of an idea, those of you who are listening, as to what we're going to try to do with this podcast. Uh, full disclosure. I have resisted us doing something like this just personally. I have some reasons for that. Some of it's time. Some of it's just where the resources of the church are best put. But uh, I really wanted to wait until this was something that the church was asking for. Because I know a lot of guys who speak on behalf of Jesus and they need to build a platform. They have to have a website. They got to do a podcast. And some of those guys should do those things. But just to be blunt with you, some of them should not. And so, <laughs> No, not everybody. Yeah, yes. I want to be careful. And I feel that the time has come where this is going to benefit our church, um, specifically working with the vision implementation team. Uh, the VIT has felt that this is going to be really fruitful for our congregation because this will give us an opportunity to hear testimonies from members of our church from a belonging standpoint, to make some announcements and clarify announcements that are made on Sundays. Obviously, we don't have a lot of time to disseminate information on Sunday morning. My hope, too, is there will be some Q&A, even at the end of our time the, today as we're recording. Uh, we have a question that was submitted based on a sermon a couple of weeks ago, and that's going to kind of build out the content we're going to spend time discussing um, but we need your help. We need you to volunteer. If you would like to give testimony, if you know somebody maybe in your life group who might not volunteer themselves, but as you've gotten to hear their story, you've thought, man, this is really something that the church should hear. Uh, we want to help platform that. That's going to be glorifying for God. That's yes. not our theological opinions or whatever doctrinal fight we want to pick on the internet. That, that's what's going on in the life of our church, and that's what we want to spend our time doing. Uh, we'd love to take your questions. You can always email us, info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. Um, and then, you know, just various topics that you'd like to hear us talk through. I know one guy in the church, I made a joke offhand one week in a sermon that we might do a podcast about uh, different heresies, and he sent me a list of heresies that he'd like us to discuss. <laughs> so we may be dropping those in occasionally to help clarify uh, what is biblical and what is not. And so uh, if you know somebody who would benefit from this time, we are, again, not trying to build a following. We just want to make sure we give this tool that we're pouring time and resources into into the hands of people who yes. would benefit from it. And so if you're aware of other True North members, if you're listening to this and you could just forward this on to them or let them know it's happening, um, as I said earlier, we don't have a ton of bandwidth on Sunday morning to make additional announcements and speak about something like this. And so we would love for you to get connected to this and then connect other people um, who might benefit from it as well. And last thing before we jump into the content today, I mentioned earlier that we're calling this the 10th and L podcast. We don't know if that's a good name. We suspect it's not, uh, to be honest. <laughs> that's true. That's uh, I true. won't read you the list of the other names that we came up with, but they were worse. So if you have an idea of what we could call this thing that's not totally 90s Christian cheesy, we would love to hear that from you as well. Let us know, and you might see your name attached to whatever the podcast will be called then. We might even give you a shout-out. There you go. How's that for a transition? So this week we're going to talk a little bit about deconstruction, Tyler. Uh, you and I had prepared beforehand three broad categories that we're going to shape as questions and then try to answer 
The first is what is deconstruction? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning, but we didn't really have time to dig down into where it comes from, how do we define it. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about why it's happening, and not just for individuals, but is it something in our culture that's going on? Is there something in the air right now that's causing young people to step away from their faith? And then last, and I think this will be the most nuanced and maybe the most helpful to you who are listening, we're going to spend some time discussing what role should those of us who are not deconstructing play in the lives of those who are. How do we handle mm-hmm. that with tact? How do we do something that's very helpful for those people? That's where we want to go. So Tyler, I'm going to throw the ball to you first. Okay. I'd love for you to just take a swing at what is deconstruction? Sure. Uh, deconstruction, I, I think in the most kind of general of terms, it, it is the breaking down of whatever the version of Christianity that you were raised with, mm-hmm. grew up alongside. Um, it's when you start... Uh, you encounter questions in your own life. Maybe others brought it to you. Maybe they just come from your own time. Uh, questions that you can't reconcile with the culture around you or the life experience that you've lived, or even uh, questions you have that don't line up with Scripture that you may have uh, come alongside uh, with Christianity with. So I, all those things kind of play a huge part in, in, in the rise and fall of Christianity in your own life. Um, and deconstruction is, is, is that point at finally you've, you've recognized or you just see maybe it happens over a long period of time uh, but it's one of those questions and stuff they just don't line up anymore and you know that there's there's cracks in that in that armor that you maybe didn't see before and the the firm foundation that you grew up with or whatever it is uh, it just starts to crumble that's right i think that's insightful that it's a very personal process and yes. even what we see online right we see these people that are going to hashtag themselves exvangelical on twitter or we certainly know of different blogs that have been formed where people are unpacking what they would call a dishonest presentation of some form of Christianity from their childhood. Uh, but it's always individual at first. These, we find each other later, but it sure seems yes. like those genuine questions, maybe they are brought to somebody who represents that whatever that faith background is, and then the answers just aren't there, whether they're dismissed or there's sort of this just-have-faith answer that I think most of us who've gone through yeah. any suffering uh-huh. know is not going to help. It doesn't help anybody. isn't how Jesus leads either. Um, so I think that's a helpful, that's a helpful uh, explanation. And uh, what we're going to try to get into, I think, is as we talk about it today, what are some of the things maybe that, that contribute to that? Is that a fair kind of— Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess— Probably the the biggest question is why in the world is this happening now? Like, why are we talking about it now? I think if you have any kind of social media, you've probably at least come across that that big Twitter post, the Instagram post of somebody sitting in the mountains or having you know having their glass of favorite drink and just talking about their life, and it invariably comes down to, well, guys, this is it. Uh, this is very hard for me. But I want to talk to you about why I don't. I just don't call myself a Christian anymore. Why do you think that's happening now? It's a good question. Yeah, I think you're hitting it on the nose because that is how it always starts. People will say, I never thought I would go through this uh-huh. or I can't imagine anybody's going to accept me when this is over. <laughs> I think we understand that we're, we're disconnecting ourselves from something institutional. Mm-hmm. You know, something and, that was very dear to us that's for a right. long time. That's right, and and possibly something that has uh, facilitated maybe every meaningful relationship that we've had. I mean, that's I would have said that for me. If I was going to go through a legitimate deconstruction of several years, I had a similar experience in college of maybe a few weeks where uh, I rejected some stuff and then never picked it back up again that was helpful to me. Um, but I, I think if I were to go through it for multiple years, I mean, a genuine fear I would have is like, is anybody going right. to accept me? So I think that plays into my answer. You asked me, why is it happening now? 
I think it's happening now more than ever before, uh, just more visibly, I guess. So let me rephrase that. Okay. I don't actually think it's happening more now than ever before. I think that we believe, those of us who are deconstructing, that we will survive the process because we've found other people, thanks to uh-huh. the internet, who tell us we're not just a social outcast. We're not going mm-hmm. to not survive this, not have a future, not have a hope. And so I think that's an element. I think also, um, and we're going to talk more about this when we get together next week, but I think there's some genuinely good and reasonable criticism of parts of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at True North, we've come up against some of this stuff personally as we've tried to uh, create partnerships with churches in other places. You know, we've had to be kind of careful about that because yes, Alaska is a destination and a lot of people like to come. And I don't think anybody's heart is wrong, but there's a cultural disconnect for us. Being in the far north, being in a western state, uh, the way that we present Christianity here has to be, I think, a little more authentic, a little more grounded in real experience. I don't think it's quite so easy to maybe have a handful of Bible verses memorized, wear a Christian t-shirt, right. and and get a pass a little bit from culture. We don't get that here. So I think that we've seen um, people with genuine problems with deconstruction mm-hmm. uh, voice those and then not get a good response. I think either there's no answer to their question or nobody with the answer will speak up, mm-hmm. or before there can even be what could be a very healthy conversation, they're rejected outright. So I would actually say, yeah, deconstruction is negative. I'm not trying to push anybody that direction. But probably in general, those of us who claim Christ, we need to understand that mm-hmm. there's some responsibility to be taken here. Um, earlier today, you and I were talking in the office about um, some of the things that we grew up underneath and saw uh, that we've had to let go of. And I think it could be helpful to be, we're kind of being broad strokes here. Let's be a little more specific. Give me one or two things off the top of your head that you think are a fair and genuine criticism of of evangelicalism, maybe, or even your own experience growing sure, up. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I the the road flare that goes off in my head every time I think about this is you know I grew up in kind of youth group culture mm-hmm. and uh, purity culture mm-hmm. is just it is so harmful to me and it's it it has put a vice grip around uh, people's identities all over all over the United mm-hmm. States and squeeze the life out of them. And uh, I, to me, that is the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. That's good. Let me make sure I define what we mean by that. I think oh, you sure. and I both know what we mean. But uh, what we're not saying is that purity is not valuable to God, yes. right? Obviously, yes, we yes, know yes. the New Testament. We know that Jesus is coming back for a pure bride, that, that that's the role of the leaders of the church is to yes, help sanctify. Very, very valid to, to right. want to be pure and holy <laughs> and set apart like, like God. Yeah, and we also think that there is a real Christian sexual ethic. That matters. That's important. That's clear in Scripture. What God says sex is for and not for. Who it's for. When it should happen. Those kinds of things. When we say purity culture, what we mean is when the sexual purity of teenagers and young adults becomes paramount, becomes more important than their relationship with Jesus. Yes. To the point that, I don't know what you grew up underneath, I'll let you affirm this or not, I certainly had experiences in which if you would have asked me after some of these rallies I attended in high school, hey, if you sleep with a girl, are you going to go to heaven? I would have thought, I honestly think that my salvation might be on the line here. That's right. I really believe that it's so important to God that either I'm not getting into heaven or I'm going to ruin my whole future. I, that nobody ever yes. introduced the idea of redemption to me. Uh-huh. It becomes weaponized against you. And that's that's kind of my my lived-in experience of of reasons to deconstruct. Uh, because nobody ever nobody ever introduced the gospel of grace to me mm. when they were explaining what purity was. Yep. And, and I think if we take that as a microcosm and then we zoom out from that, I think those same principles are probably the issue in any arena of church I think life. So. When a person tries to scare you into doing the right thing and in order to keep you scared never introduces the gospel of grace to you, I think that's a pretty big leap from Christianity. I think so too. 
And genuine Christianity to me has to keep, I mean, we make jokes sometimes keeping Christ in Christmas, right? That we think there's this Christmas culture war. But really, we have to fight sometimes as leaders in the local church to keep Christ in our Christianity, in the Christianity of our culture, that we understand that it isn't good works, it's not good behavior, it's not getting the right answers at the right time, it's knowing God, right? So I think that's what we mean. When we talk about purity culture and we ask ourselves, why is deconstruction happening now? I believe it's because... Like I said earlier, people have had genuine questions that can't be answered or they've been rejected. Um, and I think that rejection maybe comes from a heart that just wants you to, to, go, to go with the flow, to not rock the boat, to not rebel. And sometimes, man, we have to be so careful. If we have a fortress mentality about what the church is, yes. anybody with a question or critique, we automatically categorize as an enemy, an antagonist. Uh-huh. And I don't think we can afford to do that. I, I think of, um, you know, even in the New Testament, you think about the book of Acts as the church is going from just Jewish to being worldwide, there's major conflict where the, the apostles are having to go. Some of them don't think that, the, that Christianity is for the quote-unquote impure. Obviously, Peter has that vision, right, where God says things that you used to think were unclean now under grace are clean. That's he uses right. food as the yes. example. But we can't forget about that. We can't forget that probably the natural bent of human beings in positions of church leadership is to is to tighten the boundaries, is to narrow the perspective of who can be in and what qualifies you. And we can never forget, like the Jerusalem Council in the book of Acts, that it truly comes down to the grace of God. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to throw the ball back to you here for our last question, and I'll chime in a little bit too. Um, But I think it's helpful to discuss what can we do for those who are deconstructing. And I want to be clear here, not what do we do about those who are deconstructing. Uh We're not handling them like a problem, but how do we help a person? What does a person who's deconstructing really need in the midst of their deconstruction? So, Tyler, what comes to mind when you think about that? Uh, I I think above and beyond, uh, you know, living the perfect example of Christianity, I don't don't know necessarily that's going to be the most helpful thing. I I, I think... uh, uh, Jude points to that in the very the uh, doxology or right before the doxology in Jude, uh, there were to be merciful on those who have doubts and in so doing snatch them from the fire. Mm-hmm. It's a very concise verse, but I I think that 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 hand of mercy extended to them is going to be paramount to what we're doing uh, uh, to love people that are deconstructing that have genuine questions about the faith. Um, I think the knee jerk reaction to cut them off or to tell them that that if they don't kind of get right with the Lord, if you've heard that phrase, yeah. um, hmm. or they're going to lose everything, or, yeah, those those kind of consequences you talked about earlier in, with purity culture, I think that extends to um, the way we treat those that have genuine doubts about our faith. And, I, you know, I think that some of that may come from a good place um, because we really believe our faith, and I think, you know, uh, another thing I was taught uh, growing up in the evangelical world was to defend your faith, mm-hmm. uh, but I think we, we instead of w- uh, defending it, we end up weaponizing it even more. And so I, I, I think there's a, an imperative for Christians to maintain relationships uh, that are healthy. You know, not necessarily not necessarily to let uh, toxic relationships relationships rule your life. Excuse me, uh, but I don't think we can afford to cut them off. I, I think we even see in uh, this is going to be a really silly example, I think, but if you ever watch like wildlife documentaries, the the bison that gets separated from the herd, man, that's the one that gets picked off by yep. the wolf first. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do wolves hunt bison? I may have my, uh, they probably will now. If they okay. hadn't thought about it, they're going to hear this, they're, and that's going to be like, they're that's so what tasty. we need to do. Yeah, And I think there's uh, some subtlety to that, Tyler, right? Like it, It'd be easy, and sometimes we do this, don't we? The healthiest bison in the herd tend to go, well, you should have kept up with the herd. Right. Uh-huh. You know, if you'd been if you'd been listening to the herd leader, if you'd been closer mm-hmm. to the herd, 
And uh, unfortunately, we forget that one of the responsibilities of the body is to be patient with each other, Mm -hmm. is to be kind, is to be compassionate, to look out for each other's best. Uh, I want to read the verses that you referenced from Jude. Sure. Um, I looked it up while you were saying that. I think that's that's excellent. Um, in Jude, Jude's only one chapter long. So beginning in verse uh, 21, he says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. And as you do that, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So our position is pray in the Spirit, stay in the love of God, wait for God's mercy. So that puts us very much in a receiving position, right? Not we're, That's not an offensive position. That's not an aggressive go after. But out of that, then have mercy. This is verse 22 that you mm-hmm. quoted. Have mercy on those who doubt and save others by snatching them out of the fire. He goes on to say, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In other words, demonstrate to them, I think, great deference and be peaceful, but also don't lose your understanding that what yes. is fleshly is wrong. We're not compromising the gospel here, and I think that's part of what happens that's negative, is in an attempt to reach a person, we are probably invalidating the very faith that we're trying to stand for, okay. and only yes. confirming their deconstruction is right, because they go, well, you can't reach me and still maintain your your standards, your idea of this biblical judging God. So I think that's helpful, and you, know, you made a point earlier that I wanted to speak to as well. I think that we have to... Um, I think we have to remember that people who are deconstructing are expecting to be cast out. And very true. Just holding that in our minds and hearts will will make us more gentle. I think, you know, when you if you've ever helped a child take a thorn out of their hand or had to pick a kid up who falls off a bike, uh, the fear of what's going to happen is almost worse than the pain of what they're going through. And I think in the same way that, you know, we would we would feel condescending to some degree, but we need to be willing to be really gentle, kind and patient. And spend more time probably checking on how they're doing than whether or not they've made hard progress back to whatever yes. the faith is. I think that's that's the Spirit's business. Yes, he seeks, is. he saves. And and a final caution I would just say is to stay away from pushing a person to a rededication. When someone has um, doubt in their life, the tradition I grew up in, oftentimes there'd be a really emotional call to just double down on things that maybe they weren't even believing in the moment. And I think it's probably more fruitful to use the language of conversion with a person who's deconstructing than rededication, because I think they're looking for something new. And very likely, if they're able to walk away from their quote-unquote faith that's, that's right. been established, it probably isn't genuine for them, and they probably do need a real encounter with Jesus that then all the trappings of Christianity can fall after. They can come after that. They don't need to be leading that. So I hope that's helpful to you, church, as well. We did get one question submitted regarding this. Um, a guy came and, and spoke with me and asked, uh, as I spoke about uh, two Sundays ago, deconstruction, and specifically made the points that God is near to us as we deconstruct, and that God is not convincing but is evident. I used both of those yes. as an example, as an exemplary of how we ought to be. We ought to be near those who are deconstructing, and we ought not to try to be so convincing, but instead let our love be evident. The question that he asked was, uh, what happens when somebody who says they're deconstructing seems to actually be leveraging that to gain a following? Uh, and to further clarify, there's now sort of a celebrity subculture to the evangelical movement That's right. where you can gain a few hundred thousand to a million followers on the social media platform of your choice as long as you're an intellectual, you sound smart, you're winsome, you're a little bit charming, and you're willing to continue to question the Christianity people are coming out of. I think those who are emerging from a false belief in Christ or in his church or in each other, they're looking for somebody to validate that. And when they find it, they just latch on because it tells them they're not crazy, everything's going to be okay. So to further clarify, what are we? what's the difference between a false teacher, somebody who maybe is using their platform to lead other people away from faith, 
and then just the genuine individual who has legitimate concerns and can't seem to find answers, and therefore is beginning to lose the faith that they maybe had. Um, a couple of scriptures come to mind. Uh, Tyler, if you don't mind, I think Hosea 6, I think I wrote it out for you, verses 7 through yes, 10. If you here. would read that, I want to make a couple comments there. Sure. Hosea chapter 6, starting in verse 7, says this, But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. Shechem, sorry. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. Yeah. So what this tells me is some of the critiques that an ex-evangelical, a deconstructing Christian may have, have to do with the leadership in God's household. That happens a lot. And this is God calling out the leadership in his household. Granted, this is Old Covenant, but I think it applies to where we are as well. The priests in the Old Testament are supposed to be representing the concerns and the burdens of the people in front of God. And this is a burden that we carry as elders, as ministers in the congregation. Even deacons carry some responsibility when it comes to hearing from those who are hurting and then addressing those needs and praying. That's what priests do, right? We speak to God about the needs of other people. And so I think it's—I want to just read it again. He says, God is indicting his own people. He says, in the same way that robbers lie in wait for a man, like on the side of the road, just like that, God says, the priests band together. So this isn't just one bad priest, one place. This is everybody going— we need to take other people down. Yes. We need to manipulate. We need power. We need recognition, whatever. He uses the word villainy. He says they murder. Now, you could take that literally. Maybe that's the case. But I think God's perspective is more spiritual here. I think so, too. And even Jesus' indictment, uh, which we're gonna, I think we're going to read from Matthew 23 a little bit later here. we got some verses. But Jesus' New Testament indictment of the Pharisees is very similar, that they're misleading other people. They're not just on the hook for themselves. They are bringing other people along with them. Yes. And so I think that's a helpful clarifying point, that it is good and right to critique the leadership in the church. Obviously, we live in the New Testament, so we don't have the Old Testament temple system. But it's okay to question a leader and good grief, man, God have mercy on his church. If we haven't seen more men in the last decade totally just destroy their influence and give it all away for an illicit affair, drug abuse, money manipulation. seen it time and time again. Yeah. So I think there's a genuine critique here. And I think that instead of maybe just separating ourselves from Christ's bride, a better response would be to fight for that kind of integrity, to fight for the accountability that upholds mm. that kind of integrity. So there's a little bit of a dichotomy there that maybe those who are misled by God, or not, excuse me, I'm going to take that back, those who are misled by God's priests, I read the word God in my notes here, uh, they certainly need to figure that out, but those who are doing the leading are much more on the hook, yes. much more culpable and yeah, responsible. The language is very uh, serious. He, he equates it to the whoredom, the, the defilement of Israel because of the actions of of who we would consider God's chosen people. That's right. And in the Old Testament, the language of defilement is really reserved for murder and and taking advantage of a person intimately. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what we mean. When we say defile, we mean real, really taking something from somebody that they don't want to give. And that is a vivid picture of a person who is trying to lead people away from Christ, away from his church. Um, I want to read from 2 Timothy to move to the New Testament now a little bit. Um, I think you'll hear in these verses, it's a, it's a pretty lengthy uh, passage, but I want you to just hear the language. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's explaining what's going to happen, basically in our lifetimes. And I want you to listen for how he describes false teachers. 
because this will help us understand the difference between a person who is genuinely asking and seeking and those who are trying to mislead other people. Paul says, understand this, Timothy. This is first Tim- or excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1. Understand this, Timothy. In the last days, times of difficulty will come. For people will be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money. They will be proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. They will be heartless. They will be unappeasable. That, to me, is, is the word of my generation. Just, I mean, get on Twitter and see. It doesn't matter what you are sorry for. It is never enough. You cannot, people are no. just out for blood. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then this is the stickler, verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. So I want to just stop right there and say, I think this is what the draw is for a person who's deconstructing. They want something that has the appearance of godliness, but that denies its power. They want, what do you derive from godliness? Identity, safety, security, meaning, purpose, hope, a future. But what do you have to accept to get those things? God's sovereignty, his rule over your life, his rules in your life. And I think specifically... The sexual ethic is so easy for people to reject because it was mishandled in their youth. Uh-huh. And they say, well, if that's what it means, that's only bigoted. There's no way that can be good for anybody anywhere. And they won't even engage in the conversation, so they just throw the whole thing out. And they try to find those things, identity, meaning, purpose, hope, a future, a group to be a part of. They try to find them other places. And I think what's unfortunate is the only thing other people can really do is push you back within yourself. I mean, they really can only say, I don't know the answers to your questions. I but mean, you, but you got to find it within yourself. That's right. It's that it's that same sort of postmodern thing we talked about just a couple uh-huh. of days ago in the sermon. Um, I was hopeful, Tyler, that you could read from Second Peter. Um, I, I, you hear now, hopefully, church from Second Timothy, that false teachers are very appealing. These are things our culture is looking for. Yes. They love these things, so it helps us differentiate those who've been misled, again, from those who are preaching this kind of thing, trying to gain a following. Uh, hearing from Second Peter 2... I want you to see that specifically when false teachers teach, but what I mean when I say they push us deeper into ourselves is there's a sensuality. That's the word yes. the Bible is going to use is you need to feel something. You need to sense something. You need to have an experience. It's all disconnected from any kind of objective anything. So, Tyler, if you don't mind, That's uh, right. sec- 2 Peter 2. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago, it's not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, if you didn't hear it directly, destructive heresies, yes, that's bad. That's kind of doctrine yes, level. Um, but man, when people follow their sensuality, what does that mean? That means that these guys are gifted communicators. It means they're handsome. It means they are winsome. They're probably culturally cool. Uh, they're not embarrassing to follow like your no. youth pastor was, right? There's a reaction going on here. You had this guy who was in cargo shorts and flip-flops for eight of the best years of your life, right? And he's trying to get you to pie him in the face. And talk to you about his smoking hot wife every weekend, right? Please stop. She's not. I'm sorry. And instead of that, yeah, instead of that, 
you want to go for the guy who fits with the culture, who can go with the grain, go with the flow, and who it's really soothing. I think that's the danger of it. Is I yes, think of a, it is. I think of a snake charmer. That back and forth motion is enough to lull us to sleep, and we go, "This is just easier." I'm so stressed. I'm so yes. tired. And again, genuine complaints about Christianity, about bad faith, produce fatigue in us. It grieves us to watch people in Jesus' name mislead each other. And so instead of having the energy maybe to engage with that and fix it, we go find other people that have the same beefs that we do, and we begin to tell each other, this is so much better for us. This is so much better than us. This feels so it's much better than it used to. therapeutic. That's right. And it is for now. I think that's what we're going to see in this next yes. passage is that it, there is a destination in play. It's not just that you find whatever religion you're looking for, and then you just kind of get to exist in that. You're moving a direction towards something. Jesus calls this out in Matthew 23. Um, I'm going to read two passages from the same chapter, first verses 13 through 15, then verses 23 through 24. Jesus says, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you are hypocrites. Why are you hypocrites? Because you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So woe to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert, and when he becomes a convert, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now, if that's true, I want to deconstruct from that. I don't want to be on that boat with that Pharisee crossing sea and land to make a a person converted into hellboundness. I don't want any part of that. Yes. What I'm afraid is we've taken the same laws of legalism that have governed our bad versions of Christianity, and we've now applied them to this sort of new age sensuality. Right? We talked about that again on Sunday, that there's rules to postmodernism. There's things you can do to get yourself rejected. And so my fear is, in the same way that the Pharisees were using God's law to manipulate people away from God, now people are using lawlessness to manipulate people away from God. Mm -hmm. And I think the same curse applies. And then verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe of mint and dill and cumin, which are herbs. Very small, that's the point he's trying to make. And yet you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. You've neglected justice, you've neglected mercy, you've neglected faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And then he calls them blind guides, which is such a similar... um, just a, a curse on their life as what God says in the Old Testament, Hosea, to those priests. You know, you, you guys are leading, blind leading the blind here. Mm-hmm. He says, you've been straining out gnats from your dill and cumin and mint. He's saying, you're pulling little tiny bugs out of the offerings you're making yeah. so that everything's balanced just right, yet you are choking on a camel. You're swallowing a camel, is what he says. And I'm just telling you, I think the point of this scripture is that, again, deconstructive criticism can often be legitimate. And we have to be so careful as Christians that we're listening that we're not just reacting to how it makes us feel for a person that we love to have stepped away from their faith, but that we can listen and that it is safe and even good and right because the truth sets us free to agree with and acknowledge when those criticisms are valid. Yes. Probably the most important and winsome thing we can do is say, you know what? In that area, you're right. And I also hate that. And I also think that it's wrong. And I'm doing what I can in my power to go against it and work against it. And frankly, I wish you were over here helping me. I think your voice would be valuable. I would love, but you know what we have to have is we have to have churches, not just individuals, but churches that can accept that kind of skepticism and celebrate the heart that seeks to do right without getting bogged down in maybe the immature criticisms that come along with it. That takes a lot of endurance and strength on the part of church leaders. So you who are listening to this, you can be praying for your church leaders at True North. We want to be a place where people who have uh, real legitimate concerns, who are skeptical, even those who have deconstructed can find a safe place to ask their questions and maybe be reintroduced to Christ. So to break this down and to kind of land the plane here on our discussion today, 
how do we actually approach false teachers within the church versus outside the church? Um, is there a difference between how we approach false teachers versus those who've been misled by them? Um, I'll take a bite at this first, Tyler, and then you can see if you've got any additional sure. ideas. Um, I think that the New and Old Testaments are both very clear that those who do the misleading are more accountable. Yes. And I think our response as Christians is not so much to vilify but to warn. And I think where we have legitimate um, relational investments with people, where we have strong friendships, a gentle warning goes a long way. I think it, in fact, goes further than a lambasting Facebook post ever could. Uh, just, oh, I don't know, I just made that up off the top of my head. And, you know, nobody's done that ever before. Uh, but I think, like, speaking to somebody in kindness, gently, face-to-face, and saying, hey, I'm a little concerned that you've begun dabbling in this thing that's a little bit out of the mainstream of what we might call orthodoxy right. or historical Christianity. That's fair. I'll tell you, if a person is dabbling, they're looking for a place to discuss that. They're not dabbling in secret. Nobody's hoping they can find a a way to get out of their Christianity. They're probably offended that something happened that doesn't agree with Christ or that Christ doesn't seem to be real. And I bet they would welcome the opportunity to discuss that. So I would say huge difference where we see false teachers, we need to identify them carefully, gently, be very, very sensitive that we're not trying to find opportunities to... Uh, burn people in effigy or embrace some kind of you know canceling thing online. That's right. Um, I think our relationships are where those conversations happen. And then those who are being misled, they need us to show them, to continue to demonstrate a better way. Um, Tyler, speak to um, what happens if we as church leaders find that somebody within the congregation is starting to really cast a net and draw people away from faith in Christ. What are some things that the Bible has in place as kind of checks and balances against us as individuals needing to go to that person with a wartime mindset and attack That's right. them? Yeah, I, I, I think the first thing the Bible tells us to do is to go meet with that person face-to-face, I think a one-on-one. That's right. Um, hey, you're doing this, and I, I just don't think that lines up with what what scripture says mm-hmm. we're supposed to be doing. Maybe you have a different uh, perspective on it. I'd love to hear what you actually think. Um, but it seems to me that like a lot of people are actually kind of buying into this. And I, I, I just, I'm very concerned with what's going on here. Um, and then I, the Bible escalates that if, if, if it's, not, if they're not receptive to that, I think right. what's our next step. I think, I guess we, we, we gather multiple people and then we, mm-hmm. I think we just keep kind of going up the command chain. Um, but the Bible uses, I mean, if this is a lay person, I think the the uh, the burden of authority is not on that person. Um, but if it's a person within the church that has a, that holds office, I think the the language is very, very almost explicit in the Bible that you know, woe to you. That happens multiple That's times right. in the passage we just read. Yep. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think you're spot on. You know what you're referencing is Matthew 18. When yes. Jesus gives us the uh, the framework for what we call church discipline, funny because that's not how it, you know it's like the Great Commission. Jesus never says this is the Great Commission. That's just what we call it. <laughs> it's the, the uh, subheading. Yeah, church discipline is is good and right. We should do it. We've embraced that at True North. We're prepared to do it. Disclaimer for anybody out there who thinks I'm trying to get away from that. I'm not. But I think we have to remember that church discipline always is more concerned with the state of the individual. Yes. Than the damage they will do. We, we just sometimes forget that the Christ who did the miracle to save us can do the miracle to keep us. And so it's maybe a little safer to have somebody in our midst who is confused or doesn't understand what's true mm-hmm. or is maybe even aggressively going against the grain for a little while. I think we need to give that person time and space to clearly communicate that they are absolutely embracing something that is heretical and yes, wrong. Yes, that's also very before true. Before we go to them and begin using labels, because if they're only deconstructing, if they don't know that they're creating a following, if in their life group every time they speak up and ask a critiquing question, they don't realize that they're actually beginning to sway the minds of other people, 
we just might need to let them know that. They might not think they have any influence that's, at that's all. That's true. They might not even know. They might be thinking, I thought this was the right place to come and have this conversation. And it might be sometimes. And that's why we have to be, I think, so, so careful that our concern is their heart, not so worried about what the damage that they might do. I think, like you said, there's yes. checks and balances in place. Elders who can approach, have a conversation, handle those things if they get bad to the point that they're really dangerous. Yeah, I, I think the us versus them mentality needs to go away mm-hmm. in the church. And I, I, if somebody voices dissent, we cannot immediately vilify them. It's not helpful. And it communicates a lack of care for the individual as well. That's right. I think it's a, it's a clear indicator that we've been really discipled by our culture, unfortunately. The irony is if it comes full circle, right? We're learning from culture that everybody has to have <laughs> yes. an extreme stance, and that's fueling our desire to run people out who have genuine questions, who really need the church to be the one place... Where not everybody should be has a bastion of, of safety for those with doubts and with questions. The Bible communicates that, and I, That's and exactly I think right. Christians are a lot of the time the uh, the wall that keeps out people that have that has genuine questions and doubts and and pains that they've experienced. And a lot of the time, they they they're looking for something. We know that we're all looking for something. They're looking for that community, but if they can't get over that hump, our response should not be to cast them out or to put walls up around them or to or labels. Labels are so unhelpful. That's right. Yeah, so just to touch base again quickly on a couple of ideas that we discussed in this arena um, in the last couple of sermons, uh, we are encouraging you guys to stay near to those who are deconstructing. Uh, if you fear or are concerned, especially in the context of our local church, that you've encountered a legitimate false teacher, your elders are always here for you, and we would invite you to bring that up. Let's have that discussion. Let's have some nuance. Trust that that's a thing that we're equipped to handle. We don't need you to be uh, the guards on the wall. You that's know, right. Running people off. It's not, it's not really your place. I'm that's sorry right. if that's the first time you've heard that. <laughs> Hopefully it's, that's it's, reassuring to you. Hopefully that's very yeah, that comforting. Should, that should uh, remove some burden of Absolutely. expectation from you. Absolutely. And then second, remember, God is evident. He's not convincing. He does very little arguing with people in the Word. He does very much demonstrating his character, his yes. person. And that's our example. Uh, Jesus says there's no greater love than that you would lay your life down for your friends. And so that tells me we should have friends who need lives laid down for them, and we should be willing to do that life laying down ourselves. So this has been our first official back and forth podcast here uh, discussing with Tyler. Hopefully he'll be a voice you'll hear uh, regularly in this setting. Uh, Looking ahead to next week, we're going to try to have another episode out about midweek next week. And uh, right now it looks like our conversation is going to sort of riff off of where we were today. We're going to try to evaluate and discuss what are some evangelical idols, what are some polite church sins that we've all sort of accepted and agreed with, and then Tyler and I are going to try to introduce maybe a new concept for you. Deconstruction is really only one of a couple of ways that a person can deal with the challenge of the truth of the gospel being so immersed in wrong subculture that we're tempted to abandon it. We're going to talk about an idea called disenculturation. This is something that happens when a person takes the gospel to a foreign mission field. I believe we have a lot to learn from that about how we can reach people with a different subculture in our own country. So thanks again for your time. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can contact us at info at truenorthalaska.com. We'd love to hear your questions, recommendations, ideas, things like that. If you have a better name for this podcast than 10th and L, uh, we hope you do. That'd be an answer to prayer. Please. please. To hear that from you. It can't Uh, stay this. That's right. In the meantime, church, we love you. We're here for you. And we hope this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon.